Welcome to the Jazz Legends Podcast, which was born out of the Jazz Evensong gatherings on Sunday nights at St. Michael's by the Sea in Carlsbad, California. This week we feature the music, not of a person, but of a place. The city that care forgot. The Big Easy. The birthplace of jazz itself, New Orleans. The knowledgeable jazz musicians you'll hear are Gunnar Biggs, Keith Bishop, Joey Carano, and Bob Weller. And the talk is moderated by me, your host, Father Doran Stambaugh. Dig it. We've done this, how many, one year, maybe two years now, around Mardi Gras, we have an even song that is traditional New Orleans jazz, but of course New Orleans is, I mean, it's the birthplace of jazz. So there's a lot to talk about when we talk about New Orleans jazz. Where do you guys want to start? Well, it, it was infamously born in the whorehouses. That's kind of an interesting birthplace for a music. Storyville. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's funny because I don't think it was ever actually invented by any one person. It just kind of well, came Wasn't on. it kind of like it's a cultural, yeah. like French culture yeah. sure. and like Creole, uh, an American yeah. military culture? And also some of the tunes were actually adapted from marches. Right. That yeah. They, yeah. Used to, they would play. So it was just like, I mean, it was like uh, New Orleans is the same today. You know, it's just like a... A melting pot. Oh, demographic gumbo. Yeah. yeah. But it is pretty amazing that we can sort of pinpoint where this music sort of started to bubble up. And and I, I know that it, it was happening a little bit here and there. But it it's an amazing place with, with that music coming up. And I don't know, is there another time in history where you can pinpoint exactly when something happened? I mean, a whole new thing in a relatively short amount of time. New Orleans back at... 1910 or something? 1920? Where, where? The first record was, what, 1910? I think there was a recording out, right? That's a bunch of white guys trying to sound yeah, like and it was. And, <laughs> and now we're, it's it's really rivaled classical music. I mean, yeah. it's as sophisticated as and as interesting. And Yeah, well, I think with the combination of elements with the demographics and the musics that combined, there was no, there was no jazz for a long time. That was... Jazz me actually was a pejorative kind of a term. Uh, yeah. And so they said, oh, it's jazz. Yeah, yeah. And so they kind of tossed They didn't have a name for it. And right. a lot of people now still don't like that. It's I know. American classical music or American creative music. I get it. But the, the cross-pollination of people in art yeah. was a Big lot more fluid. Very quickly got in there. And, very yeah. fluid with, with having yeah. white, black, Creole, whatever, playing together. There was no real stigma about that. There's a, in New Orleans... There's a jazz, it's a national park. Yeah, yeah. New Orleans Jazz National Historical Park. I think it's the only national park. Well, it is the only national park that's jazz. <laughs> I don't even understand. Yeah. It's, and maybe the only national park uh, around music. You go, when you were in New Orleans, did you go to the park? I, uh, of course. <laughs> so did I. And that guy came out in a ranger little, hat. Little badge. And played a little bit. Yeah. Jazz <laughs> is our national park. And I was. Yeah. Isn't that incredible? Where is that? I, uh, I moved around a little bit. Um, it's somewhere in the quarter now. I think their headquarters. Well, it was right by the Cafe Du Monde. That's, that's it. That's right that's around the corner. Square, yeah, that's right it. Across yeah. the street. I mean, they had concerts and they were in their park uniforms. Yeah. But they were all players. Yeah. And they put on daily gigs and teach about the music yeah, and so talk forth. about the history. And, and I'm going to read a bit from the. I, I assume because this is a national park, so it's. It's paid by t- tax dollars, and, and I can read it, I can read it <laughs> just to generate conversation here. Can you um, sound like Smokey the Bear? <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
New, I'm jumping into the middle here, but New Orleans uh, enjoyed an unparalleled confluence of cultural traditions. For much of the 1800s, the city was a major center of immigration. Uh, and of course, there's the French and Catholic settlement. There's the Spanish West Indies influence, the Caribbean culture. Uh, after the 1803 Louisiana Purchase, Protestant Anglo-Americans poured in from the rural South, bringing their enslaved African-Americans with them. Crucial to jazz was their interaction with a class of free French-speaking Catholics of mixed African-European and sometimes American-Indian heritage, descended from people born in the Americas or Creoles of, of color, freed people of color. And I think one of the things that I continue to marvel at is that, I mean, jazz is considered America's quintessential art form. And it comes because of this openness of the culture and people from all over the world that are together. But there's also there's also an, a dark underbelly that has to do with the history of slavery. And you wouldn't have the combination of the African roots with the rhythm and the blues and the spirituals and the gospel, along with the classical European influence from people of all color, not just white people, crayoles of color and so forth. And I think there's a there's a part of that history where because of the color of your skin, uh, you all got lumped together. And it's and it's part of that lumping together where you get the mix of the Western classical tradition, along with the African traditions that somewhere in that gumbo comes this art form. Amen. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, like the, how the Western gumbo, European awesome. harmonic system that, that is used with the African retentions of the rhythms. People think that a lot of jazz players are musically illiterate, but at that time they went to school for, for music. They got a great Western musical training, so they knew about the harmonic and they use the African rhythms, then you get, you know, two, five, ones. It's interesting, though, a lot of, like, New Orleans-style players or Dixieland players were not that schooled on their instruments. Like, they could have figured it out on their own, so they all had sort of idiosyncratic styles and sounds on their instruments, which is part of the fascination of that style, I think. It's, it's not, they don't all sound like they could play in the Boston Symphony on the clarinet or whatever. They just figured out how to make a sound on the clarinet. And it's, that's why that music sounds like it does, because those people didn't try and sound like anybody else on the clarinet or the trumpet or the trombone. They would figure it out on their own, and it, it came out the way it came out. And it's kind of raw and undisciplined sometimes, but it's very cool. Well, and doesn't it, that has to be a factor in the what becomes the improvisational mark of the art, right? Because I'm not locked to notes on a page and just playing it through. If I'm playing by ear, I'm also using my ears to listen. And I mean, the conversational part is a part of what makes it jazz, yeah. right? Well, especially in the Dixieland style, like there's a lot of improvised counterpoint, which is nothing that they had studied but formally. They just heard, oh, I think this note will sound good against that note, or this line will sound good against that note. And I think I mentioned before, there's something called tailgate style trombone, which involves like playing some of the fundamental parts above the bass line and playing passing notes above. And they called it tailgate trombone because usually when they were on a wagon or a truck or something, they put the trombone in the back so he could move his slide freely. And it's the style of playing yeah. trombone now in that style. It's called tailgate trombone. Yeah, wow. And in, in that early music, there weren't many individual solos. It was group improvisation for the most part. Mm -hmm. Even when they sang, often everybody hollered out, I suppose that 
could have been because there was no amplification, uh, but it was very group uh, focused and, and then Chicago jazz got to be popular and, and that was a little bit different. And it's interesting to hear some of the early recordings like in the, the Chicago band that Louis Armstrong first came up to play with. Uh, I forget now the the the, the trumpet player yeah, King Oliver was, King Oliver was the leader and there's like ultimate alternate takes of the same tune that they did when they first started recording and King Oliver basically plays pretty much the same solo right. on every take because he'd figured out what worked and yeah. I'm going to do that and it's on the record that way you know there were a couple little differences but I think that was probably common performance practice like when it's a record right and, well it was also like a band that had like four the four four voices i think they had clarinet and two trumpets and maybe mm. a trombone and they sort of didn't have any written arrangements they sort of played the same mm. thing every time they'd play the same song mm. and it, it ended up being the soloist ended up being something like that too i don't think louis was particularly guilty of that but king oliver especially at that point in his career wasn't the strongest trumpet player on earth he had dental problems and all that stuff. So that might have been part of the reason that he tried to play the same solo the second time, the third to take or whatever. Where does the solo then evolve out of? Where To what, what we see now of you guys trade solos and... Well, is that Louie? I have to do with like dance gigs, like having to keep people dancing and you ran out of melody after, you know, 45 seconds. And so now you have to do something else, you know? So they keep play the dancers going. going. Keep the dancers going. You know? All right. Which also is a good I point that. that I mean, uh, talking about how each player had their little the sound that they came up with that maybe wasn't a trained sound. Well, so, just uh, we were talking about Kudu Williams before. Like one of his signature things was playing the tr trumpet with a plunger mute, and that was something that started back in the New Orleans days. And who would have thought that you'd take a now plumbing implement them. Right? <laughs> a friend, a friend of mine was in New York City and doing a recording session and forgotten his uh, his plunger. So oh, he no. went down to a hardware Please store no. and oh. said, "I need a plunger." And the guy gave him a plunger and says, "Wait, don't you need the stick?" No. And the guy's going, "Ooh, are you gonna stick it down?" <laughs> <laughs> I think it would be cool if we used one with a stick. Um, I mean, now when you hear New Orleans jazz, people associate it like I know when you guys play for Mardi Gras. You guys pull stuff from that early 20th century era, right? Yeah, we try and play tunes that were associated with that. So some classic examples or favorites? or Do you guys like the early stuff? Oh, yeah. yeah. It's, it's, I think it's more fun to play than it is to listen to it myself because I'm not mm -hmm. a big devotee of Dixieland, but it's fun to play it. What makes it fun to play? It's just a, it's a departure from what we usually play for one thing. And usually the tunes are not real harmonically sophisticated like they became later when the swing year and the bebop year particularly, which was almost like complexity for complexity's sake. But it's fun to just play on like the like two or three chords and, and play in that style or try and play in that style because it's 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 unique, you know, and it's 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 still valid even all these years later. It's I think fun the music. The extended solo thing came after swing really because. Players were frustrated on getting eight bars one a night. Yeah, just you know one right. real short little snippet, then they go back to the ensemble. So they wanted more time to improvise their own stuff. So they extended the melodies. That's what jazz, the Minton's thing, or the swing bands would shut down. They'd go down somewhere and jam, and that's where bebop was born. You know, yeah. they, they had an idea people could make their own melodies up, mm -hmm. and that became like the, the the big judgment of a bebop player: how can he solo? But it was funny, uh, during, mm. like, especially in the bebop era, there was a lot of animosity, oh. like 
some some people saying, oh, like that uh, moldy fig music, that Dixieland music. We're not we're not going to play that. You know? and, and vice versa too, though, right? Because bebop sure. was it was... kind of went both ways. Uh-huh. Louis Armstrong would say like disparaging things about some of these like supposedly modern trumpet players, but it kind of evolved past that, and they finally ended up deciding no. I think I think uh, it was either Dizzy or Miles said without Pops there wouldn't be me, you know, like so. And that settled things down. Yeah, I think to a certain extent, it, but it was it was kind of a, a tense thing for a while. The different generations not wanting to get along, and then they used to promote these concerts like, which is better? Like uh, have a Dixieland band on the on the show, and then have a bebop band on the show. Like there was supposed to be butt, button heads or something. And it, it still <laughs> happens, and and it's so silly, but. Playing the Dixieland circuit, uh, traditional jazz, folks like to call it. And a lot of folks that were into traditional jazz, they did not like modern jazz and, and vice versa. And, and they both have their points. I mean, the modernists say, well, you're just trying to read. This is technically or theoretically an art form. Why would you just try to recreate this thing that happened 50 years ago or 100 years ago? And, and then the, the tra- traditionalists, they just didn't like all the tension. And, and and they love the feel of the swing and the openness of, of the traditional stuff. But we're all in the same boat. You know, we just want a gig. And now bebop <laughs> is becoming old music. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, it is. It is old. It is I, know. Old. I know. I, know. I, I idealize uh, most things. Uh, but I, one of the things that seems to be important in the jazz world is the idea of understanding like it it builds on itself right and so part of the tradition is understanding the tradition right and maybe i'm idealizing it but i mean you got to know the early stuff to even appreciate bop and then wherever bop goes because it builds and so to disparage any any era is to disparage the tradition or the thing that's been inherited charlie parker needed lester young but there was a whole movement in the like the 60s and 70s like the all the free players were like no i don't need to listen to like any of that stuff i I don't need to play inside and yeah you do you you can't cut the line right because it doesn't make any sense unless you refer to what tradition is it helps you learn structure and and even if you're playing absolutely free and you know, small you communication, a, too. I mean, the fact that eye contact or you hear the phrase coming to an end, you're going to go somewhere else. That was all evolutionary, too. I mean, you had to... The free players that I enjoy listening to are ones that can play inside, too, because you can hear where they're coming from more. It's defined by. You can't go out unless out has it. It's, it's it, defined there's, by. There's an in, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the way I feel about it. But there was a kind of a movement in the 60s that was like, no, you don't even really have to know how to play the instrument. You're just like expressing yourself. I well, thought I, was, I don't know. There's I, I, a story. I Frank Foster used to lead the the band in New York on Jazzmobile, and they had some young tenor player in there one time that just played some bizarre solo after that. And Frank Foster said to him, like, so what were you doing there? And the kid said, oh, I'm just playing what I feel. So Frank Foster says, well, feel something in B flat. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I, and I don't think you need to. I, I mean, I, I guess my argument would be if I were trying to get everyone together is um, – have fun, and it's fun to try to play Saints Go Marching In, and it's also a challenge because you don't have a lot of harmonic movement, so how are you going to make this thing interesting? How are you going to balance your solo and create a melody that is, is interesting and inspiring? And also, it's fun to try to figure out how to play all the things you are, or a Wayne Shorter tune or something, or a Monk tune. How about that for a challenge, you know, with all the harmonic shift? So have fun. And I, I mean, I just... 
when we try to shut off a whole style of music that's rough especially if you're a modernist dismissing the stuff that came before you i mean there's no excuse for that it's like cutting off your arm yeah yeah in a way you know uh any tunes if i'm thinking about the the set that you guys are going to play is it put together anything joey has such vast experience in the trad jazz and in new orleans they don't like dixieland either they don't like the the that's another thing like jazz where i think it was named by a bunch of white people trying to market something but uh you could come up sorry white people some of the tunes that would work you know how we work well we did a bunch of good ones last time we actually played a song uh New Orleans, and I think that's a Hoagie Carmichael song. Yeah, that is a Hoagie Carmichael. Do you know what it means to miss New Orleans? That's a nice one, isn't it? I I mean, yeah. And then there are a a bunch that we all know, of course. uh, Louis Armstrong made Hello Dolly very popular. I don't know if we're going to do that. Did we do that last time? No, we didn't do that. Bourbon Street Parade and stuff like that. Classic. Royal Garden Blues. Sure, yeah. Yeah. Muskrat Ramble. Oh, yeah, yeah. The hard part is trying to decide what 12 to do yeah. or whatever 10 we, we can yeah. choose. Hoagie Carmichael wrote a bunch of good ones. Speaking of stealing from other people, yeah, supposedly yeah. Bix right. was the source of some of his licks, the, some of Hoagie's Doesn't surprise tune me at all. ideas yeah. and licks. Yeah, but he'd, heard, he'd played with Bix enough and they, yeah. like, oh, that's a great thing. I'm going to use that. And Bix Spiderbeck, wasn't he something? You know? Yeah, he was. Who's Has everybody been to New Orleans? Bob, you just went. Yeah. I just wanted to say, you know, the last time I was there, this is, I guess, off the subject, but the last time I was in New Orleans was uh, less than a year ago. And I noticed that, you know, we saw all kinds of bands. I mean, we saw, I, I don't even know how many different bands we saw. But a lot of the people playing in those bands were uh, young, uh, college-educated kids who had studied the music thoroughly and were now, you know, in the at a point where they just wanted to play. But a lot of them were really really good and and you could tell they were really well trained too so it was like young people was not uh, so much uh, old people when i i only been one time a year ago and went to preservation hall and was struck well i was struck by this concept in a, in a lot of ways but in preservation hall in the you know little space in the little uh hallway before you go into the room where they play and every photograph on the wall was some old timer pl- with a young kid teaching him. I mean, in like right, yeah. passing on the tradition is an is an active part of what happens there. And I remember I went out uh, and saw I uh, wanted to see the Treme the Treme Brass Band, and I showed up and it started at nine and it was kind of a slow start and I didn't I should have known better that it would it would <laughs> it would pick up. Yeah. Uh, but there was a couple young guys that were up there playing and then once the set changed i think the the real trombone not the real one but the main trombone player showed up and the kid rolled off but they're working these young people in actively passing on the tradition and and these young people will go on and do who knows what but they will be building it on the tradition so it's cool in honor of mardi gras and the end of the carnival season the Evensong Quintet will feature traditional New Orleans jazz music on February 18th, starting at 4 p.m. The Jazz Evensong gatherings are free and open to the public and take place every Sunday, starting at 4 p.m. at St. Michael's by the Sea in Carlsbad, California. See you there.